Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message boards. We start March. Yeah. And yes. And yes. Your host, our very own Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, San Diego. Reading whatever is on the prompter. Defense is Sua Adori Chalk by the end of the not, year, not by the way. Chalk. <laughs> I don't know why. I said, I'll, I'll just read whatever it says, baby. I know. Chris Morales. It's a touchdown. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? The kids are Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. Welcome, everyone, to the TrojanSports.com podcast. I am Adam Maya, and I am joined by good friend Yogi Roth. How are you doing, Yogi? I'm good, man. Thanks for cruising over. It's fun. Yeah, I, I want to move in. It's beautiful over <laughs> here. We're, uh, we're near the water. We could practically catch it from uh, his backyard. And so I see why uh, you, you like it over here. Um, I have a lot to talk about today. Uh, Yogi's been knee-deep in Pac-12 football for the last couple months, and so we'll definitely get into USC and the rest of the conference. Um, but first, I want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing lately on the side, because you do a lot more than football. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun off-season. Uh, from signing day, um, you kind of get a little breather. Signing day ended, and I'll never forget, I went to Iceland thinking like, uh, you know, all right, World's going to be good, like, no big deal. And, of course, like, news continues and continues and continues. Um, and prior to spring ball, uh, I went on another trip, I went to Israel. And it was really cool because, I don't know if you know this, or your listeners know this, but they have American football there. And I had no idea, you know. And I was a guy who, my, my mom was from Israel. I was kind of intrigued. Robert Kraft owns a league over there. It's called the Israeli Football League. And it's men's tackle. It's men's and women's flag. I mean, it's, it's really cool. So I went over there and uh, created and produced and hosted this documentary series called We All Speak Ball that'll come out um, later on uh, in May and June and, and it'll release, I think it's five or six episodes. And it's really cool because, you know, number one, there's like a kid over there, there's a safety who was offered at Nebraska and turned down a scholarship offer in Nebraska because he didn't want to play on the Sabbath, you know, on Saturday. So he went and played and he's a professional athlete in Israel. There's other guys who... Um, never played even high school football because they wouldn't play on Friday nights because it's Shabbat, but are over there serving the military from Baltimore, for instance, and are considered professional athletes. So, like, it was, it's really a wide range of student-athletes. And there's a guy that uh, we, we have a feature coming out on who's 23, learned football off of YouTube and is an offensive lineman and just got a scholarship to come play in the U.S. So, like, you know me well enough now, and, and I love the power of play. And I think that it's an amazing connective element in the world. And you could be different races, religions, backgrounds, genders, you know, whatever. But if I roll out a basketball, a soccer ball, I want to have a catch in football or baseball, like, you cut through all that. And uh, I was like, you know what, I think it's time to create some content around it. So 
I uh, went over there with a company called Israel 21C. It was a tourism company over there, all about Israel in the 21st century, like different things that no one might know about. So we created that, and then uh, we created a short film that came out on Mother's Day that I'm really excited about called What Does It Mean to Love? And uh, I've heard from people all over the world. It's only been out for a day now, and uh, the numbers are good, and, and I think it speaks to a lot of people. And for me, that was a very uh, passion-filled project. So, yeah, I've been having fun, man. Yeah, it's been good. And tell me about the film as well. What do, what do you mean to love? So what does it mean to love? I don't know if you if you saw it, but um, on inauguration day in L.A., I woke up and I was like, man, it's a funky day, well, regardless of who you voted for. It was rainy. It was just kind of weird. Like it was the world was in a different place, right? We had a different president. Clearly, is atypical from a traditional politician. So uh, my friends and I, who are also the documentary crew that uh, direct and produce the Drive on the Pac-12 Network, the documentary series on all the football teams. Um, they were down here, Taylor Cavanaugh and Matt Wilcox, and, and my production partner, Jonathan J.J. James. And we were like, let's go around L.A. and ask people what does it mean to be human on Inauguration Day. And we did that, and the video went nuts. It did really well. And we thought if we were to do this again, like the idea of asking people one question that could cut you to your core and make you kind of stop in your tracks, like what would the question be? And I'm literally in Israel with uh, a producer friend of mine named Jonathan Baruch. And uh, he's a guy who is a part of you know, the Israel 21C community. And it, we're supposed to shoot a feature on surfing in Israel. And we wake up and there's no waves. And I'm like, Yo, what, if, what if we ask people a question today and see what happens? And he's like, sure, of course, we want to ask him. And so what if we ask him what does it mean to love in Israel? Like the holiest of lands, but the most conflicted of lands, right? So we went to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, if you've, if you've never been, there's four quarters of the old city of Jerusalem. And it's Christian, it's Jewish, it's Arabic, and Muslim. So, and it's literally within like 50 meters of one another are these different quarters. So we were like, let's just walk around the periphery of every one of these corners and drop in and ask a priest and a bishop and a nun and, you know, a Sikh. And like, let's just ask all these different people, a tourist, what it means to love and see what happens. And uh, the result was, was power, man. So we came home and edited it and, you know, Taylor came up with the idea of well, let's release it on Mother's Day. And I thought it was beautiful. And, and the story is woven with my story of my mom grew up there. And I did a documentary on my dad called Life in a Walk two years ago. And I was like, you know, I want to see where my mom's from. And uh, we wove together my journey to kind of go to her hometown and learn about her path with what other people talked about regarding love. And, you know, I, so my mom taught me was that life is nothing without love. And she taught that she learned that from her parents who we were Holocaust survivors. So it was a it was a beautiful like way to tie everything together. And then as an artist, you just want to share it and see what happens. And, you know, it's been pretty good so far. And uh, where can people find that film? You, you can you can find it anywhere. You can go to uh, yogirath.com. You go to all of my social. You can go to YouTube and just put in what does it mean to love. Go to israel21c.org. Um, it's, it's not hard to find. All right. Well, there you go. Um, and, of course, we all know Yogi from the Pac-12 Network. Uh, that's his day job, and he just got extended, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're happy as well. We all benefit from your uh, your contribution there. So, as I mentioned before, you've been uh, knee-deep in Pac-12 football. And so, the first thing I want to ask, because you get to see everyone in person and in your scouting and stuff on film, you know, day in and day out, Right now, who's the best team in the Pac-12? Hmm. I'll have a 
to me, there's two teams at the top, and it's SC and UW. I'm going up to Washington uh, tomorrow. So we're taping this on Monday. I'm going up there Tuesday. So I'll be able to get around them and have a feel for them. But uh, I think that uh, when I look at those two teams right now, I call it competitive depth. And I think they have it. You know, So here's the examples. Uh, last year, Azeem Victor, Joe Mathis get hurt for UW. They play Alabama. Clearly the presence is felt in terms of what they lost. They didn't have the competitive depth necessary to every position to compete for a national championship, right? They got to the cultural playoff, and I still think they're good enough to do that. I think now with their recruiting classes, uh, you know, this being Chris Peterson's fourth, fourth year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I think they have the competitive depth. Um, I think that the things they do in that program, the details, how he teaches them, so many things beyond football um, is just special. Like, I, I really think he he's going to go down as a thought leader in this profession. Um, and then in the South, SC has the competitive depth. And, you know, I've talked to so many coaches around the country when SC was down scholarships. And they would say, screw that, man. Give me their 50 players. Give me their 60 scholarship players. And I agree. Their 60 were always better probably per pound than the majority of teams in the Pac-12 They're and 80. around the country. Yeah, But, and you know this, covering the Trojans, and, and, and same here, and being around it, being in L.A., especially when you're a SoCal kid, you come to USC and your community's around you, and your community knows you as the dude, right? And you roll in and they expect you to be that, you're told you're that, but a lot of the times you may not be putting in the necessary work to maximize that potential. And when you don't have somebody about to take your job, you don't have competitive depth, that, that's a reality. And I think that's what their reality was the last couple of years. I mean, this year, last year was the first year they were at the ability to be at 85. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and they, they still were, weren't. They were right at 80. Right. Yeah. This year, I think they'll, they'll finally be there. And what does that do? Well, number one, it provides competitive depth. What does it do, number two? It helps you in recruiting because now the receiver you took didn't go play across town. Or the offensive lineman that you're going to develop doesn't have to play as a true freshman like some of the guys in the past have. Max Turk is always a fun example. Mm-hmm. Damian Mom is always a fun example. These guys that just had to play early. And there wasn't the competitive depth. Now that it's there, you look at the receiving core, you look at pretty much every position group there other than offensive line, um, I think that they're elite. I think they've got real NFL talent. And on the O-line, they're still way above average. And they've got, I think, the best quarterback in the country on their roster who gets the ball out. So to me, they are special. And you'd have to guess, I guess, to get off the fence, I'd give them the nod because they won last year. Um, But those two teams, I think... And then I'd add Stanford. Those three teams are the, the teams in this conference. Can we talk about the USC roster a little bit? Yeah, let's okay. Dive in, man. Of course. So you mentioned them being elite. Um, I was surprised you didn't mention the defensive line. You do think that they're elite there? I think their potential is really unique. Um, like they got a true freshman, right? The Marlon Chui Pelotu. There you go. Glad you said the last <laughs> name, not me. Um, He's not elite yet, but his ceiling's super high. You look at Olawole and just how he's grown. Mm-hmm. You know, Porter, you look at the energy that he brings. I look at Achena Nuosu. I think he's. I think he'd be like my preseason defensive player of the year in the Pac-12. I was so blown away with how he moves, um, how physical he is, how he's continued to develop, um, and the way they move him around, right? Sometimes he'll be down in the line of scrimmage. Sometimes he'll move. I think they're two backers. Um, uh, where's my my favorite player on their roster is Jordan Iosefa. 
Ayo Sefa, yeah. You add him, I think they're really talented there. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, I, why do you like Jordan? I like Jordan too, I'm curious. I think the way he moves, I think he is big time. I mean, he is he, he's so athletic. I think he's so physical. He's still so young. Uh, I think he's going to chance to be a special linebacker at SC. I really do. Um, I don't know the kid like mm-hmm. you do or like obviously the staff does, but I think he's big time, man. Um, and you look at the athleticism of Houston, obviously the leadership of Cam being in a natural position, I think, for him right now is playing mm-hmm. inside. He's been the leading tackler since he got on campus. I, I think that the reason you know, why are they, uh, in my opinion, legitimately worthy of Final Four college football playoff is I think down in the middle of their defense, they're real. Starting with Marlin, even you look at Rasheem Green playing sometimes the five technique, what they can do on that defensive line and moving guys around. Can Kenny Bigelow be serviceable for sure? Can he be dominant? Maybe. But somewhere in the middle is still going to help this team. Mm. Um, I love the backers, and I think down the middle even at the safeties, I think they're talented. Marvell Tell, to me, is a all-conference capable player. You know, and then the guy who gets no other love is the other safety who knows the defense probably as well as anybody in the back end. <laughs> you know, so I, I really, uh, and then you add in your nickel of you know, Jane A, um, and maybe the ceiling of the kid out of Florida who who, Cook. who had a yeah an impressive spring. Like I really think that they're built to win the Pac-12, um, and I think their schedule they're built to run the table. Yeah, people can talk all they want about no bye week, but your first four games are at home. I mean, I have their schedule sitting in front of me, and. It's, Western Michigan, Stanford at home. You get them early where, like, you're not beat up. Yeah. Texas, I mean, come on. We know they're going to be cranked for that. They're they're better personnel-wise right now. I mean, their first three weeks. First three. They, yeah, first three weeks at home. The schedule's set up for them. The two trap games are, to me, it's a Friday night at Wazoo well, and then yeah. at ASU. But welcome to college football. Like, those things are going to exist. So I, 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 I expect them and UW as of today, without any major injuries to either team, to play both undefeated, both playing for the Pac-12 championship, and a berth to be a one or two seed in the college football playoff. I thought that maybe Jordan Alcefa, uh, inside backer, would play opposite Cam, but they really had him rotating behind him. Why do you think they did that? Or why do you think they're doing that? I don't, it's a great point. I, I thought the same thing when I was, call, when I was calling the game and just being in practice. Um, I think now in the era of college football, the offenses you see in this conference, and let's keep in mind, Pac-12 conference games last year, the winning team averaged 39 points a game. You're going to play a lot. You're going to have to rotate a lot. You can't just play every down. And I think you look at Olawole, and he's a guy who's going to be a third down as of now, in my eyes at least, third down specialty rush end, right? Who knows where this young man is going to play, Iosef at the back position. But I see him having a massive role. I, I mean, I'm looking at my notes now from spring, and it's... In caps, a star. Like, I just think that uh, it's just my gut. It's just my feel watching him move, watching him play, watching him take on blocks, watching him practice. You know, my favorite thing at practice is to get there early and watch guys. How do they walk out on the field? And I do it in games all the time. I get down and I study the quarterbacks in pregame. You know, where are they at? What, what I'm really excited to see this fall is how they rotate players, specifically on the defensive side at the back position, right? And I, I think, again, they have the competitive depth. And it's kind of like Kentucky in basketball, right? I can remember T talked about that three years ago, two or three years ago, about how he talked to the receiver room about Kentucky basketball and how all those five guys who were the top recruits in America are all okay when they talk about the selflessness that's necessary to achieve the goal, which is to win a championship. 
And I think the same thing on this team on defense. You look at the middle of their defense and the backers they can rotate, secondary, especially the recruits coming in and Polamau and Bolden. I think it's safety. You're going to be big time. And can they get competitive at corner is going to be a really fun place to watch because that's where you're going to get tested and challenged when it matters in this conference. So corner is a position that you have more questions about then? Yeah, I'm just intrigued. I mean, Jack-Jack, he, he's so dynamic. I mean, he's special as an athlete. I mean, you've seen him move. Um, he's really, to me, a, a, a different type of athlete than they've had there um, consistently, right? Adoria is obviously freak, uh, but can he do the boring things that are necessary and be able to drive on slant routes and not get beat in double moves? Can Iman Marshall be the All-American that's necessary now taking the top guy? Do they have to protect them, play more coverage on the back end? I'm, I'm pumped to see that. I wouldn't expect them to try to protect them. I'd see more aggressive man coverage. I think that's how you... I think that's the only way you really win in this conference is having the ability to do that because of all the zone rate stuff and all the QB runs and all the RPOs. Um, so I, I think they're built to do that. And then recruiting-wise, they've got so many young special players coming in. And even last year, guys that came in and didn't play or guys that have not necessarily tapped into their potential. You look at Keely Ross, you probably expected more from him. Isaiah Langley. like Some of these guys, I'm excited to see how they come through this summer because the Trojans saw the the potential of what a big-time season can do for this team. And it's different. You win here, it's a special place now, you know, <laughs> and, and they got a taste of it. And, and I don't see it slowing down. I, re I really don't. So you, I guess you feel better than I do about the defensive line and what they can accomplish right now. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think uh, if you talk to people in that program and you say, okay, what's the attitude of our team? They'll say that the, the leaders on this team are – Port Augustine, Chen Nuoso, Rasheen Green, Cam Smith, like defensive players, right? Uh, SC's usually talked about offensively, right? We talk about quarterback, we talk about the receiver, we talk about where I think where tailback you, right? It's tailback you. I mean, it, all those elements. And I think when we were good, remember when, when we were elite, it was Ray, it was Kush, it was Kaluka, it was it was Thomas Williams, like it was it, yeah, it was it was the heart of that defense. Was special. Cody Patterson. Yeah, exactly. Uh, good. All of those guys. Kinechi, and, yeah. I mean, I just think that that's. You look at UW and what they've done. You look at Stanford and what they've done. Um, even when Oregon was good, they crushed it in turnover differential. Like their defense was so active. Um, I just think that it's like the the non sexy thing that people don't want to talk about a lot. And I think this team is built uh, down the middle to play well. And, and I really enjoy. Uh, this this defensive front and the way they play it, you know they don't need four interior D linemen every snap, or they need a couple, you know. Well, they, yeah, they really play two a lot. Yeah, he not too much. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we're gonna find out how they they manage Marlin. I think that's gonna be the thing that I would track. But again, what SC is doing in terms of like John Meyer and their medical department, in terms of and Ivan, Danny, and all those guys, they they they're tracking performance so much. They're tracking exertion so much. Um, that I think it's going to allow them to tap in and maximize potential in a long season, right? We talked about they don't have a bye week. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not too concerned about it. Now, can they stay healthy? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's a variable yeah. that we can't control. Exactly. Can uh, Kenny Bigelow show up? We're going to find out, you know. Can they spell Marlin? Can he, can he handle the physical rigors of an entire season and going down the road? I mean, you just look at some of the physical games they're going to play. I look at him and it's... Oregon State, Utah, Notre Dame. I know Oregon State doesn't scare anybody coming off the page. They're a really physical team. 
You know, if you, and you, I called a ton of their games. To me, they're a bowl team this year. I think they get to six wins, surprised a lot of teams. So that three-game stretch in early October heading into the end of that month, how is he handling the physical rigors of it? How are they practicing on Tuesday? Are they alleviating some practice? What does that mean on Saturday? I mean, those are the, the elements that I think when you look at Clay Helton. And last year, I thought we had a treat in college football. We had to watch in real time a first-time head coach at a premier program go through the evolution of a head coach. And being around him, his confidence clearly has only grown in terms of his plan and what they're doing and staying true to it. And I mean, you've been around him more than I have, but in the moments that I've seen him or talked to him, I just think he's, I think he's going to be here for a while. You know, I think that he's got a really consistent, diligent plan, and I'm excited for this year if you're going to nerd out on football. How does he handle the scheduling of his players? And I, if I was you, maybe you're at practice every day, you're tracking how many periods in practice, mm. when do they adjust, what's individual like week one of training camp, week one of the regular season, you know, week six of the regular season, you know, how are the guy's legs, you know, I mean, those are the things that I think that will allow this team to be peaking uh, towards the end of the year, because we can say all they want, yeah, they got a bye week before the Pac-12 title, but to get it back in a week is kind of hard. You know, so I'm excited to see if they can build and build and build and not be peaking week two of training camp, but now you get an extra week of training camp. How do they manage that? You know, are they peaking, um, you know, kickoff of Western Michigan when that game's, you know, hopefully I'm calling on the Pac-12 network. You know? Yeah. Um, Clancy Pendergast has not been one to rotate a lot, and you insinuated earlier that you think that that will probably be a bigger fabric of this team um, is that because of just conversations you had with the staff or because of more competitive depth? I think it's just competitive depth, man. I think as a coach, I, and I believe any coach will say this, um, you want more guys to play. You know, it, It's better for your team. It's better for your environment. And not just on special teams, but to trust them to really get you know, every third series you're, you're rolling. You know, whatever it is, it, it makes everything better. It makes practice better. It makes relationships better. It makes the room, the linebacker room better. Um, and it's not just at wide out when you're rotating guys. You know, Utah is the greatest example of it on the defensive front. I mean, they're playing 8 to 12 guys a game, and they shift like it's ice hockey. You know, a lot of times they shift on their own. You get to this place where you can just do that. And this team hasn't had that depth at any position on defense, to my knowledge, in a long time. You know, where have they been able to just make line changes? Nowhere, right? And, you know, a lot of NFL guys don't necessarily want to do that anyway because they're used to going with who they go with. Mm -hmm. But, again, you look at Cam Smith, John Houston, and Jordan Iosefa. Like, those are dudes, you know? And if Taylor Coteau was here, he'd be in that rotation as well. You know, and I think that that is, um, is something that every coach hopes to have in their team. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'm, I'm curious to see it because I think that they are a deeper team than they were a year ago. Um, we just have to see it, you know, maybe some of these younger guys, their their development. Um, but sticking on Clancy for a moment here, since he joined the Pac-12, yeah, I think he actually started with the Pac-10 with Cal in 2010. But since he's been in the conference, he's done really well, you know, and that's kind of... Where, he, where he's made his money in college football against spread. Why do you think, uh, what, what about his scheme do you feel like works so well uh, in, you know, in this conference? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's really fun to watch. Um, they're really aggressive. 
you know, and by that I don't mean like they're bringing pressure all day long, but they play aggressive. Like on offense, I always say that who can tilt the field? Easy example, Reggie tilted the field. It was like he was running downhill. Christian McCaffrey tilts the field, right? Um, I think Juju, when he runs routes, can tilt the field. It's almost like he's running downhill at a DB and, whoa, and out of my back pedal and I'm just sprinting. Um, I think defensively they can tilt the field with some of the pressures they bring. You know, they're, they're not going to sit back on their heels and say, okay, let's just play coverage. They're not going to sit back. And, and I think that uh, the reason they do that is because they've got the ability and the confidence in, their, in the back end. You know, if you rewind to two years earlier, and, and I, I know I get a lot of slack for this, but to me I think Justin Wilcox is one of the smartest coaches in the country, um, defensively specifically, and I'm pumped for his job at Cal now. Um, and a lot of SC fans were bummed that he didn't blitz a lot. Well, they couldn't trust their back end at all. I mean, think of who was playing in the secondary those years. You know, they didn't have anybody that was excelling in coverage. They were busting, blowing coverages a lot. Um, so you couldn't play cover four, man coverage, which is the way to beat teams in the run-pass option world that we're in now. A year later, a year more mature, two years more mature, you look at that team last year and look at how they played. You know, all the way up until the Rose Bowl, Leon Clay makes a play, you know, and they win it with their secondary. So I just think that the, the maturation of the competitive depth of this team um, has allowed Clancy to play his scheme. And I think guys really like it. You know, they don't do a lot, uh, but what they do, they do really fast. And again, he plays to your strength. Iman Marshall, I, his strength, and in my opinion, is to use his long arms and his physicality. And he's going to play a lot of press coverage. His strength is not to be at seven yards and backpedal and play you and try to mirror you as a wideout. And he's not asked to do that. So I, I love the scheme. I think Clancy's awesome. He's been fun to kind of get to know a little bit. And um, the coaches love working for him. And, and the kids, they adore playing for him. And uh, and their responsibilities, I think, are really fun. Penn State was hands down the best offensive team that USC played last year. But uh, that game was just so weird where, I mean, USC shut them out in the first and the fourth quarter, but in between gave up touchdowns on seven consecutive yeah. drives. What did you see? What what came undone with this defense? Well, I think that's a really fun question. Um, and you ask great questions. Uh, <laughs> but w- let's keep in mind that it's it's an offensive game. It's an, it is, and, and I'll argue till I'm blue in the face, it ain't close. Right, the officials protect the offensive players, and I love it. I'm an offensive guy. I want more points to be scored, mm-hmm. um, which makes elite defenses like UW, Stanford, SC potentially this year that much more fun to watch and and watch them do their thing. Penn State was a powerful offense. Yeah, you know they got a first round talent at back. Their quarterback, I can't wait. You should come down. He's going to be a counselor at the Elite Eleven in a couple weeks. Um, he's as gritty of a fighter as you're going to get. I mean. They they battled, you know. They made plays, you know. They they did what they did all year. They threw the ball up. They made plays, and you know, Chris Godwin was catching balls, yeah, contested, you know. The same thing they did against Wisconsin in the pack or the Big Ten title game, mm-hmm. you know. So, I think there's an element to that of like, hey, this is the Rose Bowl, bro. Like, nobody's going to dominate. You'd say the same thing about the Natty and Alabama against Deshaun. Like, what's up with Alabama's defense? Every dude got drafted for that was draft yeah. eligible. Right. Well. The other team's pretty good, too. And I, I just think that when you have a month to scheme a team, okay, um, there's two sides of that. One is that if you play a team like, uh, if you play at the air raid, right, mm-hmm. and if you have a month, I think you can do a really good job of scheming up uh, certain routes, certain combinations, if they don't have a lot 
of routes and combinations. Um, but if you have a team that is complex, and Joe Moorhead was my coach in college, so I know Joe, the OC at Penn State, and they have a mix of run and shoot, spread, pro style. It's hard. You know, they're going to make plays. So, yeah, were there busts? Of course. Um, were there, you know, plays they wish they had back? Yeah, but Penn State made a lot of plays. You know, and that was the total. There was an amazing energy in terms of the momentum that was swaying in that ballgame. So I, I can't really pinpoint it other than, like, it kind of happens. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think with the bowl game, the unpredictability there that um, it's probably unique, and probably with a, with a season opener would be the other example. Yeah, because those were the two games where USC had problems on defense. You really look at the way they played from game two to game twelve. It was really elite. Yeah. I, I think it was elite. But and game one was bust central. Yeah, I mean there was four plays. Um, my memory serves correctly, mm-hmm. where they just busted on defense. Yeah. It wasn't as though Alabama and Lane had this insane scheme. Like it was literally blown coverage, tight end down the seam, touchdown. It was miss on a blitz, didn't hit the target, and it's a run out the gate, touchdown. And all of a sudden, it's over. Mm-hmm. You know so. So much of that, and that's why I love college football, because you get 20 hours a week versus the NFL where you get who knows how many hours a week. And when you watch it, and if you draw plays, and that's why I love being an analyst, um, it's usually blown defensive assignments is why uh, teams score a lot of the time. So, for instance, and I'm going to stand up here in our virtual (laughs) podcast, but if my job as a backer is to get to the hook to curl and I have this one spot, well, in the NFL, I, I go to that exact spot. In college, I might be a yard off, and you could throw it behind my ear hole, and that might be a first down, a touchdown. And that's just the difference between college football players and NFL football players, like zone dropping. That's why you don't see a lot of zone anymore, because they don't drop to their zone. And in this RPO game, it's you've seen it all year long. Yeah. USC is running quick game in the run-pass option game. Think about that. A quick game in the run-pass option game. There's no more quick game. And the run-pass option is not just bubble screens. Like, they're doing real cool stuff. And uh, to me, that's really hard to defend. Yeah. All right. We talked throughout the year. So I just want to rehash a little bit for our listeners because the last time we had you on, we were talking about the quarterback competition. That's where we were yeah, between Brown and Darnold. And, you know, you'd expected that Brown would win. He won. Uh, but you liked a lot of what Darnold could do. You just didn't think that he would be ready. And no one saw what happened coming from Darnold. So with that, what in particular stood out about Sam as a first-year player? To me, Sam has the ability to try easy. And by that, it's a fun word that we use in the quarterback space is, you know, quarterbacks... I think they're the most uh, sensitive athletes in the world, um, <laughs> and it's because they care so much, right? And they want their coach to to say they did a good job so much, and and they're worried about criticism at times because they're perfectionists, right? And they try so hard when it's not going well. Sam is a pure athlete. I mean, this is and we all know his background. Um, I think Sam he knows how to try easy, you know, and that's when you let things come to you and you trust your instinctiveness and. The thing that I saw from him from beginning of training camp and just listening to him talk. You know, I always go to the interviews and you guys are in those scrums and I just sit there. 
and I just listen to how they respond to questions. And I remember he was being asked, uh, how would you describe your offense? And this is like week two. It's like their first media appearance. And he's like, yeah, we, uh, you know, it's, um, it's like the run and shoot. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah, we want to run it, and we're going to take some shots. And, and I, I chuckle about it, and I love that about him, um, because that's probably what they talk about in their meetings, is like, we're going to run it, we're going to take our shots. Yeah. Right? But the history of the game, the run and shoot is way different than that. Yeah. Um, but I love that, because it just showed me, like, he's a he's a pup in this world of major college football. Mm-hmm. And at SC, I've always felt, and we've talked about this, when you come in quarterback, you become a household name, the minute you sign, the minute you start, you become a Heisman candidate. Like, are you ready for that? I didn't think he was ready for that then. And you fast forward to watch the Stanford game, the throw that you pinpoint out that he makes across the middle, and it's great anticipatory skills, and he rips it, gets the job, and doesn't look back. To me, the emotional development, the ability to try easy, the ability to quiet his feet in the pocket, all of the things that just kind of happen when you get your feet wet a little bit um, is different. Now, look, if he starts the Alabama game, who knows what happens, but I think they did a really nice job of bringing him along because there was he was an unknown. Like You didn't know how he would perform in games. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never do with young guys, and they didn't necessarily need to find out early um, until they kind of struggled, and then they did, and you know, thank God for him and for the Trojans. Tyson Hilton had likened him to Brett Favre. Um, who do you see? Mm. It was fun. I was just with Brett. I did the uh, <laughs> NCAA Women's Beach Volleyball Championship on uh, Turner and TBS last week and got to interview him. Okay. It was, it was awesome. They, they are similar in terms of, like, they're such quiet personalities, you know? Um yeah, I mean, I get the comparison for sure in terms of the creativity. Um, he reminds me of Aaron Rodgers in terms of the quick release. He uh, talked to that staff, like you talked to Ivan Lewis, their strength coach, and he reminds you a little bit of Jake Locker in terms of his, you know, his intangibles, how strong he is, his body, how athletic he is. Um, but he's an elite passer. You know, he's an elite passer, and he sees the game well. I always felt the best point guards in basketball aren't the ones that make the assist, but it's the ones that see the pass that leads to the assist. Mm-hmm. I think he does that. Rose Bowl touchdown, Deontay Barnett, great example of yeah. that, right? He saw it so far in advance, right? Um, I just think that is that is his his uniqueness, you know? Uh, and we did a film last year called Welcome to the It Factory on the Elite 11, and explored the it factor. And we interviewed people from Coach Carroll to Russell Wilson to, you know, Jared Goff and all these high school kids. And what we found is that the it factor is when you walk into the room, people feel you, but you also make them better. You make everyone around you better. And that's what Sam does. You know, there's a story during the Rose Bowl when they're losing and down, whatever it was, and uh, Ivan, the strength coach, is getting everybody riled up. And Sam comes up behind him, taps him on the shoulder, and says, Coach, we're going to be good. Don't worry, I got this. You know, like there's that try easy element to him that's like, I'm an intense, badass competitor and I will fight and compete and battle and thrive and put more on my back because I love it and I embrace the burden of influence at the quarterback position. Um, but it's not that big of a deal, you know, because that, that, that's what I do. And I think that's Sam. And then mechanically, he looked at, you know, the way he can make all the throws, trajectory, one, two, three throws, how he can quiet his feet in the pocket, play from a clean pocket, pay, play from a dirty. You know, he doesn't need to point his shoulder to make a throw across his body, right? He can just open up his hips and flash it and go. I mean, he really is elite uh, in every element of the game. And then you get to his humility, and he reminds me of Marcus. He's a great example. I can't wait till he gets around. Marcus little, Mariota. Yeah, 
he, I can't wait till he gets around these Elite 11 quarterbacks as a counselor this summer, and they hear his story, you know, and, and get to understand a guy that doesn't think he's bigger than the game. You know, I think quarterbacks fall into two categories. You either love what the game does for you, which is all the social, all the love, or you love what you do for the game. And Sam's always been a give-back guy, and uh, I don't see that changing. All right. I, I'm going to ask you maybe a bit of a weird question, but I'm, I'm wanting to know if you could try to put a percentage on how close he's playing to his potential. I know he's really young. He just... He was so outstanding in his first season. He was named the MVP of college football, right? The Archie Griffin Award, which hadn't gone to a, a redshirt freshman. But if just from what you see and where you see he could go with, with what he could do physically, how close do you feel like he is to realizing that? And where do you see him needing to make maybe the most progress? A lot of guys in their second year playing struggle whether it's true sophomores or retro sophomores, um, because it, it's never the same, right? First time out of the gates, you're kind of, you know, people don't know you. They don't have the book on you. Um, Sam has gone to work on, okay, why does that happen with second-year players? You know, how can I prohibit that from happening to me? How can I make sure that, okay, maybe my numbers aren't the same, but I'm seeing the game at such an advanced stage compared to how I was last year. And he's done all those. And, and that's why I think... His ceiling's so high, you know. When he's, I'll never forget his coach Jaime Ortiz called me three years ago and said, "You got to look at this kid for Elite 11. I said, "Sure, can't wait." He told me a story, got injured, hoops, right? Came up to NorCal and I was standing with Trent and I was like, "Man, he looks like Andrew Luck, man. Like when he gets rid of the ball." Yeah. And he kind of moves a little bit better than him. Yeah, the young Andrew. He looks like the young Andrew Luck. Yeah, yeah. Stanford. And uh, I was like, "This guy's, gonna, this guy's about to blow up." And he had like one offer at the time. Right. And uh, he exploded like the next week. Just went crazy because everybody was there, and you know, you get all the exposure and and coaches are on the road and recruiting in May and sort of watch him throw. And um, he's he's big time. And then the day that he signs, I'll never forget. I talked to to Sark, and he goes, "I think he's going to go to New York twice. You know, once for the draft and once for the Heisman. You know, <laughs> pending the draft being there. You yeah. Know? And uh, he said that on Sunday day of. Yeah, it was it was right around when he was getting okay. recruiting, or yeah, you know, we were just kind of having a conversation after he had committed, huh. and uh, and I agreed wholeheartedly. You know, I just I think there's some guys that come across, and you know, I've been lucky. I've probably seen every high school quarterback in the last twelve years, thirteen years, and that, that's done really well for the most part. And uh, Sam's different; like he's just he's in that one percenter of a group, and there's a couple guys that are in there. You know, Josh. He's in that. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's, a, there's a couple guys that you can just tell that you feel are just a little different. He's going to be special. You know, Deshaun Watson was that. You know, uh, Manny Wilkins was that as a person. You know, like just trying to think of some other Pac-12 names that people would know. Um, but he reminds me of Carson. Like he's so physically gifted. Remember yeah. Car Carson was like a 4-4 guy yeah. when he was at SC yeah. and a blown knee. You know, Carson went through you know, a lot at the position because of starting as a freshman and not having great years. Um, the coaching turnover. Coaching turnover. And Pete had to build his confidence, right? You could read about it in, in Pete's book. Um, but I, I think Sam, he's got such a great backbone of his family. He's got such a great point of view on life. He's got such a great training in terms of his high school program at San Clemente. I mean, the phrase is one town, one team. I mean, this kid is not about him at all. Mm -hmm. Um and he's got the desire to do really well. He's not just a SoCal laid-back, flip-my-hair kind of guy. He'll do that, but he's a, 
he's a committed, grindy type athlete, and what Tyson and Clay have done with him and, and T has been magnificent because they they've played to his strengths and elevated those strengths and worked on the weaknesses, but not made them too much a part of the game plan where you're asking him to do things maybe you shouldn't be asking him to do. And to me, that's always a great sign of a coach when you say, I adapt to the skill set of this kid. Um, and, and that's what they're doing with, with Sam. I think he's just scratching the surface. <laughs> and I know that's crazy because the award that you referenced, but um, he was just balling last year. Yeah. You know, like, he was just balling. You know, like, now you're going to ball, but you're going to have so much more, you know, ram in your hard drive yeah you know he's just gonna have so much more knowledge and experience and expertise and film study he's just getting going you know and and all the things that he's doing in terms of the training of his body after again i I get to practice early a lot to see how these guys prepare and two hours before practice he's doing hip work to make sure his hips can open because he gets the ground force equals rotational force and a lot of times last year he's just throwing in its arm Right? Okay, cool, he gets it, and he understands that, and this is the beauty of SC, that with their um, you know, med- even medical department of saying, okay, why do guys get hurt 10 years in their career in the NFL? It's usually their hips at quarterback. Okay, because they didn't work on them when they were 20. Hmm. Let's work on them. So maybe, maybe you can extend another five years. That might be another $50 million. Like, who knows? Yeah. And whether it is or it isn't, financially, um, you see him committed to that craft, and that, to me, is a great sign. And again, if there's not competitive depth if there's not a team that is truly you know the one heartbeat team that is pulling in the same direction that that clay has orchestrated i've seen it go the other way you know and i think at sc it could be a program full of football players that are really selfish or it could be powerhouse yeah and in the last 30 years you've seen them both (laughs) it kind of been one or the other almost I think it is because of what Los Angeles is as a community and Mm -hmm. and that's the beauty of what we saw clay and continue to see him cultivate we were nerding out a little earlier uh, watching porno over some film, and you were showing me a link in a lot of the interception that Darnold threw last year where he didn't identify the backside backer. Um, what can he learn there? What can he do differently? Yeah, so I always think that this, the, the stages of development at the quarterback and really the offensive skill position, quarterback and receiver for the most part, right? Step one is knowing what you're doing. Um, step two is... Uh, knowing what everybody else is doing on the offense, right? Step three is getting an idea of what the defense is doing, and step four is blending them together. And Sam clearly knows what his offensive players are doing. As this year went on, you saw him continue to develop uh, and understand the protections and what the protections were doing. Um, And then he he had a handle on what the defense was doing. But until you can piece it together, which is when his picks were bad picks, you know, I mean, a couple, like it was like two that were like drops or tip balls, like that's going to happen, but... His picks were, were bad picks, you know, and, and there weren't a lot of them. Uh, but to your point, he didn't identify and see that that backside linebacker. And what happens is, is we always train quarterbacks, and I believe this, is that when you break, you know, they don't have a huddle, but when you break, you know, getting the play and you start to calibrate and take intel in, you have to chunk information. So it's kind of like think of yourself as a camera. You're taking pictures and it's click, click, click. And it's, okay, let me take the shell of the defense. Too high. Click. Got it. They can only do a couple things from here. Okay, click. It's a three-man front. Okay, click. What's the backside defense now? What hand is down? Is it in the dirt? Can I see the white of his knuckles or is it a little bit laid back? Okay, if he has gloves on, what's his elbow bend like? Okay, that's a click. All right, linebackers, they plus a little bit. That probably means there's going to be some sort of field pressure. 
right? If they're not, okay, cool, click. What am I doing? It's a zone read play. It's a run pass option. That means the backside linebacker, which you struggle with, is going to flow. That's a click. And then all of a sudden as that happens, you've got to understand how that defense fits. And his job, the backside backer in this instance, is to flow to that running back and then punch back out and look up his eligible wide receiver. And that's where he got beat a couple times. And that to me is just, it's just reps and, and studying that and keying that. And there's so much happening in a game. I mean, think of all those clicks that are happening while you're running an up-tempo offense. You just are only going to elevate your ability to chunk information faster. And different things can trigger different things. Defenses can only do so many things. So we would always say if they're in this specific front, they can only bring these three blitzes. Cool, man. Like, you're dialed in because that one click of chunking information led you to these three options. And then it's easy. Right? Oh, it's not press coverage. Okay, there's only two options. Then before you know it, then you're just reacting and playing. So that is to me where um, I can't wait to watch him grow there come training camp, especially going up against the defense he goes up against every day. And then what he's going to see um, in his first couple weeks of the season. All right. All right, Yogi. Well, I know you got to run. Um, I really appreciate your time. And I want to do this again. We yeah. can make it happen. I really appreciate it. So that's Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network, and uh, many other ventures. You can go to yogiroth.com to catch up with him. Uh, this is the Trojansports.com podcast. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank Bye. you, man.